Welcome back to 24 Faithful. We are excited today. We are going to be delving into the last quarter of season number three. And we have Bradley Adams back with us. Not the robot Bradley, but we actually have, have him in person here joining us. So good to have you back. Yeah, it's nice to be back. I've been found. I, I was missing. I'm back. There we go. And then we got Joel that is on location for us, searching for missing vials out there in Georgia. I just want to say that it's good that uh, we was able to find Bradley. We found him last week in uh, Kokomo, Indiana, <laughs> and now he is coming to us from uh, Grand Forts, North Dakota. Not a lot of uh, civilian life out there. No, not not since Bradley showed up. <laughs> Pretty rural area to begin with. <laughs> he probably released parts of the virus and it just wiped out the rest of the population. Yeah, probably mostly cattle up there or something. We are picking up today where we left off last week. And so as we pick this up here, we we see that CTU is on the trail of they uncover the fact that Saunders has a daughter and they plan on using her as a bargaining chip, basically to try to get information and then use her to get the Saunders to be able to do that. And so that's kind of where we're going to be starting today is really looking at that and the whole process of them they're doing that. They identify her and they want to be able to move her out because they realize or they suspect that she's being watched. She's being, and so they can't just go in and talk to her or get her or whatever. They have to basically get somebody in place that will take her place and be able to do that. And Jack doesn't like who gets picked at this because it comes back that Kim is the closest match that they can be able to get on the short notice that they have. And Jack throws a little temper tantrum. Maybe not a temper tantrum, but he he definitely does not like the idea. He does not want Kim to go in there. And I think if it was anybody else, even if it was someone that was like exactly the same situation that Kim was in, if it was just somebody else, Jack wouldn't really care that they didn't have field experience or experience being undercover or anything like that. I think it was only because it was Kim. I think he'd be concerned. I don't think he'd be particularly pleased or, or thrilled at the fact that he's got to go out in the field and run this undercover operation. You know, it, it's such a huge thing at this point. This is this is critical to them stopping Saunders. I don't think he'd be particularly thrilled that he'd having to work with someone who hasn't got field experience. But you are right that the fact that it is Kim, and he, and he, he expresses that to Tony, doesn't he? And in the scene where he argues with Kim that he wants to protect Kim and he got Kim the job at CTU because he wants her safe. And putting her out in the field, doing the Jane Saunders swap, that's not keeping her safe. But actually, she's right. She's right in the argument. And she she thinks that, or she says that she's joined because she wants to. She wants to serve her country. She wants to help out. She's ready for to do this. She knows that she's going to be fine because her dad's going to be there. He, she, she's going to have all these other field agents there. It's a fairly safe mission. And she's right. She's right to push back at Jack and say, no, no, I'm doing this. Yeah, she's right in a sense. But when you really look down, right down to it, Jack was also right because the mission didn't go according to plan. She almost got kidnapped and she ended up killing the man. Jack was, you know, kind of right to have those reservations. And 
you're right that Jack probably wouldn't have act, acted that way with anybody else, but then again, it is his daughter. So you're obviously going to act differently um, when it comes to your own flesh and blood than you would if it was somebody else. So from a father's perspective, I get why Jack did what he did. I mean, I wouldn't have, you know, grabbed Kim and threw her up against the wall like she was a, like he was interrogating her. But other than that, you know, that aside, I think everything he did was understandable from a, from a father's perspective. I think overall it, it was good. And I think too, I just, just kind of looking at the whole situation with Jane and her relationship with her dad is that Saunders apparently did a really good job covering who he was and what he was doing, everything that he was planning. And he talks to his daughter, like it's just another normal day and he's just at work having fun or whatever. And it's, it just seems like it's a normal thing. This like, is the same Stephen Saunders who's disappeared for a few years and then came back, sees his daughter twice a year, calls her every so often. I mean, it's not that hard to hide that he's a terrorist. <laughs> um, eh, probably true, yeah. That sort of leads actually quite nicely into the Jack interrogation of Jane because the way that he sort of reveals to her all these things about her father, yeah, you have the first scene before Kim gets into trouble in the undercover mission. He's really, really harsh on her and almost treats her like a combatant, like she knows what Stephen's been up to, like she's involved in it somehow, perhaps, whatever. He treats her really harshly and then comes back 20 minutes later and is more considered and actually approaches it in a way that gets something out of Jane. He he exposes Stephen for who he really is. It's a great little sequence where it sort of methodically goes through, this is who he was, this is what he did with me, this is what he is now, this is what he's doing today, this is how horrific it is, please help us sort of thing. It, it works really nicely, I think. Mm-hmm. Jack has the ability to play the good cop and the bad cop in a span of five minutes. So his default mechanism is to be the Jack power that will do whatever it takes to get that information. That's his default mechanism. His default mechanism is the bad cop. Once he realizes that's not working, especially depending on the circumstances and who it is, if he realizes that's not working, then he starts to think uh, maybe a more finesse approach would uh, get me the results that I need. Whereas most people would be the reverse. You know, they would try the softer approach, and then if that doesn't work, then they turn it up a notch. Jack, you know, he starts he starts at a 10, and then he tries to dial it down a little bit when he realizes that's not working. I think part of it, too, is, I mean, going into it, they don't know how much Jane knows or doesn't know um as far as they know going into it jane knows everything maybe part of it or i mean they don't know that state so they have to approach it as if she is in with it and she knows and things like that it has information and so they have to approach it that way and i think after jack's first part of the interrogation he realized that okay she really doesn't i mean generally speaking jack is a pretty good he's a pretty good read when it comes to okay does this person actually have information or don't they and we see that happen many many times as we look through the various seasons to where someone claims they don't know anything and jack's like no i know you know something and then it comes out they do know something or vice versa um and so i think that was i mean we talked about nina 
last week. And I think that was the same thing. I think Nina legitimately didn't know anything and Jack knew it. And he's like, okay, this is my moment to be able to finally get the revenge. I think here he was interrogating her and realized, okay, she really doesn't have a clue what her dad's been up to. And so we need to switch it from co-conspirator type approach to, okay, this is what your dad did. And and that's where he takes that more softer approach. I think it's very calculated. I mean, plus, I mean, the fact that it's a very intense situation that they're in. So he goes in intense because they need to get answers now uh, because millions of lives are at stake. And of course, the whole situation here with being able to get Jane and talk with her and all that the original plan was that that would be all it would be all under the radar Steven Saunders wouldn't know anything and they'd be able to get whatever information they can and that would give them the advantage then to be able to get Steven one way or the other whatever the information led them but obviously now Saunders knows that they have his daughter and that leads to a very interesting situation that really changes the trajectory of Tony's life. And that's when Saunders calls Tony and says, I have your wife. I took her from the hotel. I have her. She's in my custody. If you want her back, you get me my daughter. And it's like flashback from season one, but now it's Tony in this hot seat. That scene is one of my favorites when Saunders calls Tony out of the blue. And, you know, it's been teased for the last 10 minutes or so at that point where Saunders calls one of his associates and asks if she's left yet and says how we'll have to do this soon. And the next shot you see is Jane and Kim leaving that where they were in Santa Barbara. And then he sort of says to himself under his breath that it's not exactly true, Jack, that the only way I'm coming out of here is out the front door, hands on my head. And then we suddenly come to, we, you know, we think it's going to be, he's kept, got Jane back. The advantage is gone. They're holding nothing over him now. He can demand out of Palmer. He can do whatever he wants. Fine. Nope. Kidnap Michelle. Comes out of nowhere. It's completely blindsiding and it's amazing. And I think, you know, Carlos Bernard is fantastic at the end there and in the next two episodes. It's a really, it's a really good story. It works. You compared it there to Jack in season one. It's very similar in the sense of it being family member kidnapped, do what I need you to do or we'll kill them. But it is slightly different in that Obviously, it was sort of Terry and Kim were being held to make Jack do something long term to keep him on edge, keep him there, keep him hanging to get him to do the killing of David Palmer. With Tony, it's that 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 moment is very very short. You know, we have we have the call and the thirty seconds threat essentially, and it lasts in sort of two three minutes at the end of that episode where Tony has to help Saunders escape, and then after that, it's all about well, let's just exchange. There's no, I need to do this, 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 and this, and this. Someone has talked about his phases. There's no phase two of Tony needs to then do this for me and help me with my evil plan. No, no, it's just exchange. So I really like that, although it is quite similar, as you mentioned, it is also very different because Tony does this one thing once and then that will then impact on him for the future, of course, as we know. But ultimately, it's then about just let's get Michelle back. Um, that scene was, and 24 has a habit of doing this through, throughout the seasons. It's, it's the classic, uh, bait and switch method. They have you believing one thing when they're really doing another. The whole time 
like you mentioned, when Stephen Saunders asked him, has she left yet? And then the very next scene, you see Jane and Kim getting into the into the the uh, the car, and then you see Kim looking at somebody like like she was being watched, but then she just shakes it off, and then it starts to build, and then you see like when he says that's not exactly true, Jack, and then you see Kim and Jane in the car pull up to the railroad track, and you see the the motorcycle pull up next to him, and you kind of see that. Even though he had his helmet on, you could kind of see that he looked into the car and that contact, but she just shakes it off again. So the whole time they're making you think that what he's waiting for is the person in that motorcycle to snatch and grab Jane. And then, like like Bradley said, out of nowhere, uh, you see he calls Tony because he has Michelle. But the whole time you think that when Michelle leaves that she's coming back to CTU. You think that, okay, she's been clear. She's come back to CTU. Even though Steven Saunders wanted his daughter back, he knew that the easier play was to kidnap Michelle and use her as a bargaining chip to get his daughter back. Because he knew that it would be a lot more difficult to get his daughter back after she had already been taken to CTU. It's like I mentioned last week. Every every time Jack thought of something, Stephen was always thinking two or three moves ahead. He always tried to be one to two steps ahead of Jack the entire time. Like just when Jack thinks he's he's got everything that he needs, he's got the bargaining chip, he's got his daughter, he's got him surrounded. But Stephen already has a plan, already has a plan in place to get himself out of that. And I thought that, that was. That's why I've always said that Steven was one of the smarter villains in 24's history. Because up until the point that he was actually caught... He has this plan, doesn't he? He has sort of the way that he expects today to go, or day three to go, I should say. As we know, plans don't always happen, and Saunders' plan certainly doesn't happen according to that plan. I mean, Michael Amador for example, kills it before it even begins, really, by going down to Mexico, costing the advantage of CTU being involved, all of that. But along the way, he knows what he wants to do at a certain point. He knows, like he says, in phases, he gets to his phases, and he knows how he gets from one to the next. And even when things go wrong, even when you have the curveball of CTU have found Jane, of course, Ryan Chappelle was killed to protect Jane. Ryan Chappelle was killed because he was on the money trail and that would have led CTU to Jane, which gives them an advantage over Saunders. Ends up happening. Saunders' death is for nothing, obviously, but he's tried to plan against that. And then when it happens, he has a contingency. He has a way to get out of it. It's sort of a little bit by luck that Michelle is immune to the virus, and he can go and kidnap her, and it happens to coincide perfectly. But you imagine that if Michelle hadn't been in the hotel, or she'd been infected and was going to die, she'd find another way. She'd find someone. He'd find someone else at CTU who he could manipulate somehow and say, do this for me, or this happens. And that's the way he gets out of it. He's very much that calculating character, but he has a way out of everything. And he makes one mistake. In the entire show, he makes one mistake, and that is trusting that Tony hasn't brought Jack into this, or rather that Jack hasn't somehow managed to force his way into this. Mm-hmm. And it gets him caught. He, he, he doesn't expect that Jack is a under the bridge or with with the CTU teams. He doesn't expect that he's going to be there. He doesn't expect that Tony's going to have betrayed him. And he gets caught because of it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and he doesn't, as you said there, he didn't anticipate, for whatever reason, he didn't anticipate that Jack was going to get involved. And if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, he didn't have a clue that Jack or CTU was involved until the exchange was actually happening and and all that. But but I, I like that inter- interaction or that tension between Tony and Jack as Jack confronts him with this, like, why didn't you come to us to do this? And he throws it back in his face. Like, well, this is exactly what you did back when your family was taken. You kept everyone in the dark and did it all yourself, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and Jack's like, yeah, but there weren't billions of lives at stake and you can't take this chance with, in this kind of situation. He says, I, I know it's a terrible situation, but you get us involved. We can work with it. And they do come up with the plan. And I mean, I mean, I guess basically the plan works because they get Saunders um, and they're able to catch him and be able to, from there, eventually be able to get some information from him. You got to think you wish Tony had uh, decided instantly after calling Baker to move positions to let Saunders escape. If he thought to call Jack and tell him what happened and that he's let Saunders go and that they'll keep an eye on, they'll try, they'll track him and we'll have, you know, we'll get this exchange. We'll get Michelle back. We'll get Saunders there. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that would have impacted on his treason and his uh, his prison sentence. That obviously, gets uh, cut down by Dave Palmer, but at least it gives him a better chance. <laughs> at least it's not him completely committing treason and giving back his Saunders. The only leverage they have of Saunders and 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 really trying to to wreck where they were and how close they were to catching Saunders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and of course we see the uh, the roles reversed um, when we get to season four, and I'm looking forward to that discussion too. But but yeah, so there's man, there's uh, so much in there that it just kind of reflects because I mean that type of situation, that scenario happens several times throughout 24's history with with some something to the fact where a family member gets kidnapped or tortured or something, and they're being forced to be able to go against against what they need to be able to accomplish for the terrorists to be able to get their goal accomplished and it just happens over and over but this just like one of those where it's like a a huge thing because of all the millions of people that are doing it of course it's tight we we have a lot of vested interest in there because it involves tony it involves michelle in there and so so i think for me personally at least it was more emotionally involved with this than it was back in season one in season one you were invested some but by this time we have almost three full seasons of being invested into the lives of jack and tony and then two seasons with michelle and so you have a lot more vested into it when this situation happens and at this point we've already seen that they're not afraid to kill off important characters and so the death of michelle could be very evident or could be very possible as they're doing the situation. And so, so I think there was just a lot of things that really played into being able to do that. But as we move forward here, we get Jack using Jane then to be able to get Saunders to talk. And so Saunders, he's not talking. He's like totally devoted to his plan and things have already been put in place. And it's basically, more or less out of his hands. And so he doesn't have to worry about saying anything. If he says nothing, it still executes. Even if he's captured, I mean, if he stays captured and never gets released, it's already being executed. And so he just had to stay quiet. But Jack found a way to be able to get to him 
because Saunders has already shown that Jane is a weak spot for him. And so he takes Saunders down to the hotel where body bags are being collected and moved around. And then he brings Jane and has Jane carried in or being led into the hotel if Saunders doesn't cooperate. And you just see the anguish on Saunders' face as all that's happening. (laughs) Finally, he breaks down and, and gives in to that. And through that process, he says, okay, there's the, there's the 11 vials. They're all being tracked. And these are the numbers. This is how we can be able to get it taken care of. And they get 10 of the 11 and it comes down to getting that last one. And that's where we have Saunders at CTU starting to try to ID because they have it narrowed down to a certain place, but they got to find the person. It's really interesting. I'll let you take it from here, Bradley, and your thoughts. Well, the, the Jack Jane Saunders thing is, is the worst thing Jack does in the series, right? <laughs> because, you know, he, he does some horrible things. He obviously, like, you think of the brutal things he's done, the, the towel scene in season one. The, the kneecapping in season four that we'll come to, all the stuff that he does in season eight when he goes on his rampage, all of these things, horrible things that he does. But the way I, I look at this compared to the interrogation of Syed Ali in season two and how he had his wife and his two children there and he posed it to Syed Ali that he would kill his sons and has killed one of his sons if he doesn't talk. But we see that that was staged. That wasn't real. He wasn't ever going to kill those three. He wasn't going to kill his family. With this, if Saunders doesn't say stop and that he'll tell him, Jane goes into the hotel. Jack's not going to stop halfway down the tunnel. He's trusting that Saunders will decide that letting his daughter get exposed is not worth completing his cause that he's so committed to. If Saunders says nothing, Jane goes into that hotel and barring an immunity, she dies. And he has sentenced an innocent 19-year-old, similar to his daughter, as we've already established from the, the switcheroo undercover operation, he sentenced her to death. It's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. It's surely it's the worst thing Jack does. I'll have to research that, but uh, it's definitely up there. It kind of makes you wonder: Would he have actually taken her into that hotel, or would he have taken yes. her to the po- the last point of no return, and then decided to get there and decided to do something else? Would Jack have really? He would have he would have had to do that because if he didn't he was there he was at the point of no return and yeah and if he would have backed off at any point prior to that he would lose any potential of being able to crack saunders he would have to follow through you see it in his face when saunders actually cracks he, he i mean he's completely nerveless and he gets a lot of joy out one of my favorite lines of the whole show is he walks over to saunders and says when your daughter is infected i'm gonna make you watch her die the satisfaction a, for us hearing that, but B, you, you look at him and he, he actually seems to be enjoying it. And yet when Saunders caves and says that he'll tell him the location of the vials, you can see the relief on Jack's face that he doesn't have to do this. But he has to do this. He has to get her to there. And if he doesn't say anything, then they have to open the door and let her in. Because what else is he going to do? He's out of options. I just don't know if he would have actually gone through with it had Stephen not said anything. I mean, he could have, but at the same time... It- he didn't have to because he he knew that the one weak spot for Steven, like Steven, Steven would rather go into the hotel himself than have Jane go in the hotel. So Jack knew if Steven cared as much about his daughter that Jack cared about his, there's no way he would let Jack take his daughter into that hotel. It kind of calls back to a couple of episodes before where, you know, he's on the phone 
and he says that made no mistake about it that I will complete my mission even if it means sacrificing my own daughter. But then when the time comes to sacrifice his own daughter to complete the mission, he bats off from it. Mm -hmm. But that leads us then to this final vial, though we have Saunders at CTU and he's there. So, so, so they, they narrowed it down to this particular subway location and they have everybody there and they're, everyone's going and getting their picture taken. That's being sent over to Saunders for him to ID the the person and so he's going through and he's saying no 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 and every once in a while he stops and gets a closer look at someone who's like no no that's not it and while he's doing that we have we have the wife of last name ortega i forget his first name gael gael and so gael's wife is there collecting his things which but it seems odd that they would do it at that particular time but nonetheless she's there and she finds out that the man that was responsible for Gael's death is right there in the open <laughs> i mean that bothers me it's like okay you have this this mastermind terrorist and we need him and he's in cooperation and we need him to identify this thing let's just put him right out in the open I, I would think that they would have a more secure location to be able to for him to be able to id these people some kind of conference room or or even if it's an interrogation room or something to where he is i mean he has some level of protection but he's not and gael's wife comes up and shoots him right before He's going to ID the person. And so because all the scene is set up to where it's like, like the next picture he looks at is the person or pretty close to it. And, and then it just like ruins that whole thing. And uh, I love season three and particularly season three be a lot, but this is really dumb and particularly annoying because the fake Ravens takedown at the end of the previous episode is so good. And actually the way that this scene, even in its stupidity, builds the tension and does it and you know the, the way it leaves you hanging on well five seconds later and saunas would have identified ravens and it would have been fine even in that it's really nice but it's just so that teresa's there at that time and that they haven't cleared the screens and then that there's a gun in her desk i mean it's actually very well made put together i will give it that it's well put together because you don't actually see the gun in the drawer you don't see the gun in the drawer. You just have this sort of look on Teresa's face and the music gets more tense from the piano, calm, emotional beats that it was. And you know that something's going to happen. And yeah, it's not great. I have to say it's not great. Also, just on this, Teresa, Teresa and Gael have kids, I think. Or they, Sorry, no, they definitely do have kids. I don't know how old they are. Teresa orphans them by killing Saunders. Well, I mean, when you, when you think about it, Stephen was in a secure location. I mean, even though they had him out in the open, I mean, it's not like they thought that, you know, somebody in their, their own vicinity was going to open fire on him. So I can understand why they had him out in the open, but at the same time, I would have had her come pick up his things like tomorrow or something. I mean, not when we're in the middle of a, of a of a crisis. Have her come pick up his things like the next day or something. That in itself was a little hokey to me. 
because, I mean, we're in the middle of a crisis. Why would you have her in that environment? So that, to me, kind of threw me off a little bit. But like I said, I understood it. But I just thought that it was kind of out of place to have her come get his things, like right smack dab in the middle of this crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, of course, they do end up finding Raven and and tracking him down they track him down into a school and as they get in there they don't know where in the school so they're searching for him they're trying to find him and jack and chase get in there and they end up splitting up and chase finds him and and they fight and they struggle for a while and as they are going through and doing all of that chase gets the the bomb file i can't think what it's called but he ends up clasping that to himself so that Ravens can't get away with it. It's just really intense and it gets emotional a little bit as you get to this this part of it here where it eventually leads to Jack having to chop off his hand to be able to get that off and then save the day with seconds literally to spare. It's such a good sequence in so many ways. It, it it's tense from the moment they sort of leave the station and you feel the time pressure, you know, we're in the last hour. We know we're approaching the end of the season, let alone the end of the episode and Raven's releasing the virus. And you have that, that great fight sequence, although Chase does seem disproportionately weak in it. I suppose he has been tortured a couple of times this season already and has now been beaten as well. And then you have, like you said, that, that emotional side of it with Jack and Chase and the reality that he's not going to be able to disarm this this device and that there aren't really many options. Either we let the viral explode there and it kills or potentially kills Chase or um, Jack has a fatal glance up at the wall and sees an axe. It's so nice, actually, that after we always spent this season, you know, we started with them quite friendly, but also you could see that Jack being in O'Heron was on edge. You could see that he was very authoritative still. And of course, we've had the whole thing of him going against Chase at the prison and firing the gun at him down in Mexico when it was ultimately empty, letting him get tortured. All of this stuff that we've been through between the two of them, uh, friction, stuff with with, uh, the fact that he's dating Jack's daughter, all of this stuff. And we come to this point and actually it feels now like it's the end of that journey in the sense of even over 24 hours, we've had an emotional journey with them now. and we get to this point where Jack has to cut off one of his limbs in order to save his life, to save hundreds of people in this school, to save his own life as well. And we have that really nice emotional moment of, no, this is okay. Let this happen. This is what needs to happen. It's fine. Let's do it. And it's just, it's so nice. It's so, so, again, horrible to watch. Absolutely horrific, but so wonderful as a story element. It was definitely one of the more uncomfortable moments in 24 history. Just the, I mean, the build the build up to the scene was emotional. It was great. It was wonderful. Jack and, and, and Chase kind of having that little heart to heart because they, in just 24 hours, they've been through so much. I mean, they, I'll venture to say they've probably been through more in 24 hours than him and Tony had been through in three seasons. So the the fact that, you know, after all they've been through and you got to think that before he chops Chase's hand off or whatever, he's also thinking about his daughter, too. Like, not only am I chopping off my partner's hand, but, you know, he's dating my daughter. So I got to think I got to think about her, too. And I just 
the fight scene itself I thought was a little left a little bit to be desired because uh, like you said Chase didn't look too strong in it but you know when you get a let when you get tased you know I don't know how many times and shot in the hand and and <laughs> beat upside the head and, and everything like that you know your strength may not be what it was uh, so I kind of understood it but at the same time it was it added to the journey because usually you see Jack in that last scene with the, the, the fight scene and saving the day and you know that's usually reserved for Jack um, but to switch it up and, and have Chase be the quote unquote hero of the day um, in this situation I thought it did good to establish him as you know kind of take the focus off of Jack it had become cliche that Everything's going to go to hell, and then Jack's going to come in at the last second and save the day. So I thought it was kind of a nice little uh, detour to have somebody else, you know, for once be the be the person that kind of saves the day. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, what happens shortly after this, as the season closes out, you, got, you have Jack finally having a moment to breathe and – it's like he's starting the process, everything that he's gone through. And I mean, like, like, like all of it, I mean, everything he had to do with the Salazars going into Mexico, the, and then the people that, I mean, he lost the woman down there. I forgot her name <laughs> <Hell> again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, he lost her and, and, and everything that went wrong with that. And then everything with Nina and tracking down the viruses and probably, I mean, and, and that situation we we're talking about with, um, with Jane, um, that probably wasn't easy for him as he was doing all that and all the tension that we were just talking about with Chase and and all that and um, having to um, uh, kill Chappelle and all of this stuff and he just gets that moment and it's like it all sinks in and then he starts to cry. <laughs> it's definitely a very very emotional moment and you get the a glimpse again of that side of jack that we never really got this season yet definitely not like this and so i mean obviously we saw it season one with his family and we saw parts of that in season number two because he kind of started that way a little bit and then we had that moment halfway with george mason or just before george mason took over in the plane and the conversation he had with kim there there's that emotion there but season three it's like it was all intense and he was all the Jack Bauer we think of. And then he breaks down and he cries. And then he gets that call over the radio that, okay, there's, there's this other thing that needs to be taken care of. And he kind of sucks it up, wipes off the tears. I was like, okay, I'm coming. And then he goes on really intense at that point. Today is the longest day of Jack Bauer's life. Part three. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Jack has always been good at compartmentalizing. Even through all of, you know, whatever he's been through, he's always been good at compartmentalizing it and storing it away and, you know, dealing with it after the present crisis. And I think, you know, this day in particular, you know, with everything that he went through and and everything that he had to do, was probably the toughest day, you know, so far of the three seasons. This was probably the roughest day for him as far as, I mean, I know his wife died in season one, you know, yay. But 
as far as what he had to do and what he had to go through, I think season three was probably the hardest uh, physical day that, that he endured so far in the season. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, but as we wrap up here, we have just like another minute or so. We, we definitely had to mention here some of these final moments of the Palmer administration. Yes. I mean, it's really sad as you see all the events fold or unfold throughout the season and seems so hopeful and seems so so promising when we get to the halfway point or so for as far as continuation of the Palmer administration. But then it just continues to spiral downward and we get the final nail in the coffin here where 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 you have Wayne Palmer going to why is my brain not working? Jerry's today? house. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, yes. pa- Wayne Palmer in the historic moment, in one of my favorite quotes, the historic moment of chief of staff of the president of the United States committing a burglary. It's not one of his mm-hmm. proudest moments. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they, uh, they left that moment out of his campaign speech when he started running for president. <laughs> 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 I'm, sure, I'm sure they left that part out. Yeah, I actually had a note about that too. It's just, actually, I don't think I keep it kept it in here. But for it's like, I mean, it's surprising that he did eventually become president um, with this on his record. But um, so there must not have been an actual record of this happening or his involvement in it or something. Must have been kept quiet. But anyway, but yeah, I think any investigation into that pretty much died with Sherry and Julia. Probably, yeah. So so we have have Julia killing Sherry and then Julia turning the gun on herself. You got Wayne standing there trying to take it all in. I actually prefer this to Nina's death as a scene. Never. I think Nina's death scene is great, but this is an actual scene. It is just stupendously good. And I actually, okay. What do you prefer? Nina getting shot or Fox and punching Sherry in the face? I still prefer Nina getting shot. I still prefer Nina getting shot. And it's, and I, even though, there was nobody happier than me when Sherry died. But part of it just felt hollow to me because when Nina died, you know, Jack looked her in her face and then shot her three times. Done. That was a fitting end to her story. Her story could not have ended any other way than Jack killing her. Sherry, on the other hand, she got killed by Julia somebody that we've only seen a handful of times this this season. Even though I loved the fact that she died, I would have just liked her to have died in a more fitting way to her story. Or even for, you know, David to get the last laugh and her to go to prison, but David not go to prison. You know, something to that effect. But just having her getting shot by somebody that, you know, we didn't really have an emotional investment in, because, like I say, we've only seen her a handful of times this season. Um, it was good because she's dead, thankfully. But the way that it happened just uh, kind of left a little hollow, hollowness and, and uh, a little bitter taste in my mouth. I think it is fairly yeah. fitting, personally, that given how horrible Sherry is and how many mistakes and how sort of much she blackmails and betrays people, that someone she did these actions to supposedly help and then decided to throw her into the mud, throw her to the dogs. That's it. You're, you know, I'm going to protect myself. 
you can go to prison. I know it's sort of Julia's fault, but she's killed Alan Milliken sort of on the suggestion that it'll help Julia. And then as soon as time's got tough, no, no, Julia can go down for this. That's fine. So I think it is kind of fitting that after all that Sherry's done, of supposedly every time she pops up, oh, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to do the best for you. When actually she's trying to do the best for herself. I think the fact that someone she's tried to do the best for has shot her because she doesn't believe that she's trying to do the best for her correctly, then I think that is kind of fitting personally. Yeah, I think she probably, I think for the most part, I would prefer Sherry to have been arrested and spend her the rest of her life in jail for everything that she's done. I think that would be a more fitting punishment personally and, and not the type of prison or arrest that Logan got in the future. Not that kind. That would be too gracious for her to actually be in jail in a cell like what Tony had, <laughs> but not getting out and her, and, and her having to face that consequence. I mean, as opposed to just the quick end. Nina, on the other hand, I, I, I think that that was deserved. But well, because they've already they've anyway. already locked her up twice, and she gotten away twice. So putting her in prison is just will be just ridiculous at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's proven that she's going to keep going over and over, even after all those punishments. Sherry has just gotten away with everything. Basically, everything basically just kind of got hidden and swept under the rug and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, okay, you need to actually get more than a slap on the hand. And so, anyway, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the conversation for this week. But next week, we're going to come back and kind of pick through season three again and see if there's anything that we missed that we want to revisit or that we want to talk about again or bring back or whatever. So just kind of a season three overview as we come back next week. So if you have any insight that you want to share yourself, you can call and leave a voice message by calling 405-771-0567, or you can go to 24faithful.com and be able to leave us a, uh, a comment there. And we would love to be able to hear from you in that fashion. You can also join the email list there as well. Most of the time we just share uh, when the podcast episodes are released, but we'll probably be using that to share some other things, Jack Bauer and 24 related as well. But with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off for this week and we'll catch you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.